Welcome to episode 150. Ever wonder why you struggle to communicate with your staff team sometimes? Well, maybe you just don't know their language. Today, we welcome back Reverend Sarah Hill to talk about the Enneagram, leadership, and you. That's today on The Reclaimed Leader. Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 150 of The Reclaim Leader. Hard to believe that we've been at it that long. Uh, We are doing our best to help uh, churches to be equipped to lead turnaround change and to help leaders grow and continue to lead change even in these unprecedented times. My name is Jesse. Jason is not with us today. He's taking a little breather. He gave me some time off, so I thought I'd return the favor. And so, so glad to be with everybody today. Thanks for listening in. And I have a great guest with us today. I'm so excited to share her with you. Her name is Sarah Hill, and she is the associate pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Fort Dodge. That is the coolest name of a church, Fort Dodge. I love it. Uh, Sarah also serves as a fire chaplain in her local town, and uh, she, with her husband Austin, they have two kids, and uh, just so glad to have you on, Sarah. We are talking Enneagram today, but before we do that, I just wanted to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks, Jesse. We've come a long way from Greek 101 14 years ago, and I'm glad that we can still continue to be in ministry and share our wisdom with anyone who would find it helpful. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. Sarah and I uh, were part of the same class at uh, Princeton Seminary, and of course, we shared a lot of the, that journey together. So fun to be friends with you then and, and still get to be uh, in our, a friendship with you now and share kind of best practices and live out ministry stuff together. So very, very cool. And you mentioned this in an email. When we were kind of back and forth getting ready for this podcast that Austin, your husband, has been on twice. Mm-hmm. And that that's that's not fair. You want to catch up and maybe even pass him. So yes, uh, I do. Gonna, I'm jealous. So this is a good starting point for that. We're going to get going. Mm-hmm. So um, just to help <laughs> folks get to know you a little bit more as we jump into the conversation, tell us a little bit about your role in your congregation, what you're doing, how life is in the middle of this pandemic that we're still all making our way through. Sure. Well, after seminary, we all went our separate ways and Austin and I ended up in north central Iowa in Fort Dodge. We are two hours north of Des Moines and one hour north of Ames where Iowa State University is. It's um it's a small rural town, about twenty five thousand people in our county, most of whom live in, in our town. And Austin's from the West Coast and I'm from the East Coast and so Fort Dodge was pretty new and foreign to each of us, but in the 11 years since we've been there, we've definitely become small town Midwesterners, and now our kids are Iowans, and we really enjoy it here. So for now, Austin and I both serve the same church. We are both on staff at First Pres, and are are loving it. And then, as you said, Jesse, I'm also the chaplain to the local fire department, which is really fun and gives me street cred with my kids because I think that's really cool. And I do a little bit of everything um, at at the church because I'm kind of a general associate pastor. We have about 650 members 
And so we have a lot of fun and we enjoy Fort Dodge and love the church, love the roots that we've put down here. And we're just trying to figure out what to do in the middle of the pandemic. It's, it's now getting worse here in Iowa. You know, we're kind of behind the curve of other places that have been affected a lot by COVID. So it's while we're back to school now, face-to-face, who knows how long that will um, stay. So we're crossing our fingers. We're glad we've had two weeks of face-to-face school, but we're ready to pivot if we need to at a moment's notice. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy to just navigate through the uncertainty because we never know what tomorrow's going to bring, what the numbers are going to look like, and ball's coming along, what's going to happen then. And so, like you said, you got to be ready to pivot, uh, not only in your own personal life and with your kids, but also as churches and trying to lead congregations uh, wisely through this time is, is a big challenge. So I'm sure you guys are doing a, a great job of it there. And uh, I know this is something that you're passionate about. We're going to talk today about personality tests and those kinds of things, but one in particular that uh, you're pretty psyched about and you think is is the one that folks should be kind of leaning on these days. And it, it, this is not new for hopefully for anybody out there, but we're going to dive into it a little bit more deeply today. We're going to be talking about the Enneagram and how that can be a useful tool for us as leaders and just uh, with our staff teams and things like that. So tell us a little bit about how you became interested in the Enneagram, what drew you to it, and you know, kind of how, how did you get involved with it? Sure. Well, the Enneagram, well, it's been around forever for for centuries and it sort of is you know in vogue right now and and it's what funny memes you can see a whole bunch of funny memes on instagram and everybody's talking about it and um so because of that reason at first i resisted it i was like ah that sounds dumb i don't know i won't i won't um I don't care because I loved the Myers Briggs and I thought that I um really enjoyed what it taught me about myself and other people and, and our staff had just done kind of a deep dive uh, with the Myers-Briggs with an outside consultant from LeaderWise up in the Twin Cities. And so I just put it off and put it off and put it off. And then I was at a conference and sort of had a bit of extra time on my hands at night in the hotel room. And I thought, well, there's this test. I can take it for $12 and let's just see. I have have some time by myself. Let's just check it out. And so that was when I kind of dipped my toe in the water and I discovered that the number I am on the Enneagram is a two. And after that, it sort of just like slowly started snowballing. I read a few descriptions of the two and it was like reading my autobiography. And I thought this is really creepy and accurate. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And then I read the book, The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stabile. And again, the whole chapter on twos, it was my autobiography. And uh, I just started reading more about it. And then I subscribed to an Enneagram podcast. And so just listen to episodes like that and kind of dig in a little bit. And I think because I did that at the same time that I was at this conference, which I'll tell you the name of it in a second, I think both of those things together just completely opened the doors to uh, a better level of self-awareness for me and self-differentiation from other people and helped me to have a stronger sense of self. And so truly those two things together have been invaluable. Yeah. So the non 
paid, uh, you know, shout out that I'm going to give to the conference is conference I did in Chicago and it is put on by the Lombard Mennonite Peace Center and it's called Clergy Clinic and Family Emotional Process. And it is a, you take it throughout the school year. This year it's on Zoom, which might be fun if people have some uh, continuing ed funds they want to use. You don't have to travel, but it's three days in the fall, three days in the winter, and then three days in the spring. And I loved digging into family systems theory through that. And so because that was such a an eye-opener in self-differentiation and self-awareness and just family systems, that paired with the Enneagram and who I am as a two and the um, in the Enneagram, they say there's a wound in childhood that you received to the number that you are is sort of a response to that wound. And it's how you protected yourself and cared for yourself as a child. Now the wound could be a very, like my family got divorced or my father was an alcoholic or my mother abused me. It could be something awful or it could be, I mean, even the best of parents, they treat kids in a certain way and kids kind of pick up on things or perceive things. And so just thinking through the genograms and um, my number and everything, it was such a really neat way to, um, I'm glad I discovered the Enneagram in that time. And so I have since decided that now my allegiance is to the Enneagram oh, over the no. Myers-Briggs. No, I know, don't I love, say it, Sarah. No. <laughs> I've loved the Myers-Briggs for forever. You know, we had to do it for our psych evaluation for sure. seminary and for the um, denomination we serve. But I think I'm a convert. Wow. So Myers-Briggs, I think, is still number two, but okay. the Enneagram well, is good. the number yeah. one go-to. Well, and you're demonstrating something really good here, because Myers-Briggs is great, and, and having multiple tools at our disposable, uh, disposal is really important. And so, you know, Myers-Briggs, do it and, and learn about yourself from that lens. Mm-hmm. But you did something that I think is, is demonstrates something important about leaders when we can kind of adapt or change and not just get stuck in one rut and say, this is me for the rest of my life. And I'm never going to use anything then other than Myers-Briggs. Cause I took a class on it one time. I know how to do it and it's, and it's comfortable for me. Um, but to be able to change and adapt to something new that you discover. And so that's really cool that you uh, dipped your toe in and then got to see it turn into what is clearly becoming a passion in your understanding, not only of yourself and um, self-differentiation, we'll get into that a little bit, but also, uh, then beginning to share that with others on your staff and wanting to help others have that same experience. So really, really yeah. cool. Um, so tell us a little bit, for those that aren't familiar with the Enneagram, you've kind of hinted at it a, a little bit of what is it, but what's unique about the Enneagram? And could you just give us a little bit of an overview or background of what it is? Sure, definitely. So I'll just say that I am not an expert at all. And there are a million people who are more wise in the Enneagram than me, but I will definitely give us just a large overview. Um, So it teaches that there are nine different personality styles in the world, one of which, so one number of which we naturally gravitate towards in childhood to cope and to feel safe and to feel secure. And so each of the nine different numbers has a different way of seeing the world and it has a different underlying motivation for an action. And so what's interesting is that you and I could could do the same thing. We could both um, surprise our coworker with coffee one morning. But if we are different numbers on the Enneagram, the reason I do that 
and bring our coworker coffee is a completely different motivation than why you are doing it. Or the reason I'm climbing the corporate ladder is a different motivation than yours. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the number, it just really influences how we think and feel and behave. And the reason that I really like and gravitate towards the Enneagram is because I feel that in the Myers-Briggs or the DISC profile or the what Disney princess you are personality <laughs> tests. Hey, easy now. You, I, you get your answer and then that is it. And the cool thing about the Enneagram is that once you get your answer, the point of the Enneagram isn't just to say, well, this is who I am. I'm a two and you need to deal with it, Jesse. But it it also describes who I could be if I was at my healthiest. And so there in the book, The Road Back to You, there was a paragraph about what a two looks like at his or her normal or unhealthy or healthiest. And, you know, I've identified at different times as all three of those, like, oh, I'm really unhealthy today or, oh, I'm, I'm operating at my healthiest. And so it helps describe who you could be too, if you were even maybe more self-aware or more um, just in tune with with your needs and the motivations and things. And so it just helps us to live into wholeness and health and helps our way in the world becoming, as Ian Morgan Cron says, blessing and benediction, that we can use our number and be operate our healthiest to show other people the love of Jesus Christ and different characteristics of God that are just inherently our superpowers because we are a specific number. So I think that's why I love the Enneagram the most. And so... Um, there are, there are nine different types and, uh, the best way to find out your number is not only to maybe take, take a test or to read up to, you know, maybe read a book and then say, okay, resonate with this number, these two numbers, but then also just think about the motivation behind the number two. And for some people like me within 24 hours, I was firmly decided that, yep, I'm a two. And other people might take them a whole year of thinking, oh, what am I? And before they land on one. Yeah. So you really have to dig in. It's not just taking the test. I like that. I like that there's multiple layers to it. And this idea of uh, th- that it gives you a vision for what you can be or, or and something to move toward and be hopeful about, even if you're not feeling like you're in a super healthy place. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's mm-hmm. powerful. And for me, I don't know if anybody else out there is, is like this, but I tend to read through something like that and I decide who I want to be before I get get there. And uh, so sometimes I, I, it takes me a while to really become honest with myself about who I am in something like this. And so I've had a little bit of experience with the Enneagram myself, but I, I did find myself reading into it and going, that's who I actually, I want to be that guy, whether that's who I really am or not. So I know we all have our kind of tendencies and struggles around that, that, that sort of uh, self-selection, but I think Absolutely. as you said, the Enneagram gives you some space to kind of digest it and then kind of process. And for some like you, it'll jump out right away and you'll go ding, ding, ding. That's me. And others, it might take a little bit. And there's some deeper aspects with the wings and all that stuff. And I don't know every, all the details about that. Absolutely. Stuff, but, um, yeah. That there's cool wings too. that you can tap into. And then another aspect of it are if you Google an image of the Enneagram, you'll see that they're they're arranged in a circle, nine at the top and then clockwise all the way around. But then there's also lines. So the nine there are two lines coming from the nine to other numbers. And so each of the numbers also has lines. So then you can dig into the lines and then something I have not 
touched at all, but that you could, if you want to dig in more, are subtypes of the Enneagram. So there's three different subtypes of each number. So yeah, I mean, that's why it would take years of study to be um, very gifted as an Enneagram teacher, because there is so much more than just, I'm a two, we, now I can use this at dinner parties. <laughs> That's right. Well, and there's something valuable, right? When we understand more of ourselves, and I, I want to talk about that here in just a minute, but also when we, maybe in our staff setting or with the team, or maybe even in our marriage or our family, when we kind of understand the way each other is wired and we know how we're wired, that sets us up for success in our relationships, or at least the potential for success or or more compassion or empathy or understanding when we kind of can put ourselves in someone else's shoes and understand what exactly. makes them tick. So that's a big deal. So self-awareness, as you said, self-differentiation is a big deal for everybody, but especially for mm-hmm. leaders. And mm-hmm. how did, how has the Enneagram helped you with that? You kind of mentioned growing self-awareness and self-differentiation, sure. but tell me a little bit about that. Cause that, that really intrigued me when you were talking about it. Sure. Well, Again, I honestly, I can't recommend the clergy clinic highly enough for those of you who have continuing ed funds and time available. Again, it's through the Lombard Mennonite Peace Center, and it's on Zoom this year. And they really dig into family systems theory. And one thing about family systems theory is also how self-differentiated you are. So basically, how much can I stand on my own two feet in a system and not get swayed by the feelings of my spouse or my mom or my daughter or my grandma or, or whoever. And the more differentiated you are, the, that, that would be the goal is to be even a little more self-differentiated than before. So um, one thing I realized that the Enneagram helped me realize is um, so twos as a two, I want to, um, I really need other people to affirm that I am loved and that I am worthy. And uh, as an unhealthy two, if I were in an unhealthy place, maybe not as self-differentiated, I could start, um, you know, doing things for other people in order to want them to then thank me or say, Oh, Sarah, you're so helpful. Gosh, you're the best friend ever. And try to get my emotional cup filled by bringing people chai lattes or dinner when they didn't ask for it, or like buying them a sweater that I thought looked really like them in the mall or whatever. Um, I can play the role of the martyr. I need to be liked at all times by all people. And you and I know, because we've been in ministry more than just a half of a day, that that's completely impossible. And there's no way that all 650 people in my congregation will love me at all times. And I realized through the lens of the two on the Enneagram, oh my gosh, this is why it is so completely crushing and paralyzing for me when I receive some negative feedback or some criticism or someone who is not happy with a decision that I made or this or that or the other. That is why I am so quick to like have my anxiety spike and just react to this email, even if it's my day off because, oh my gosh, I can't have Susan mad at me. And it helped me realize, wait a second, Sarah, this person can disagree with you and still respect you and love you or appreciate you or like you as a pastor most of the time, you know, because someone is critical with you, 
it's not the end of the world and it is not soul crushing. And so being aware of that in me and that tendency, like I just need everybody to like me because then I'll like myself. It's helped me to watch that tendency and to be a little more healthy and to say, it's okay. And it's impossible, you know, it's impossible to have everybody like you at the same at, at all the time. And one of the superpowers of the two on the Enneagram is that we are amazing at being able to be tuned into the needs and the emotions of others. And so I can be preaching a sermon and I can see who looks pissed off and who looks um, happy and, or I can walk into a room and I know who's in a good mood and who had a fight with their spouse the other night or who at the gym looks like they're being standoffish and maybe I should send them a text later. Like that's our superpower, but that is also our kryptonite because how can I, it would be very, it's, that's a growing edge for me is to be a solid sense of self even though the person in the second row is, you know, grumpy that day or um, not trying to swoop in and and make sure everybody is, is okay or likes me or is happy. So it's um, such a good example. Yeah. It's it's good to know that, but then also to be aware, I don't want to change who I am and adapt my behavior into who others need me to be. You know, I need to be okay with the decision that, that the session made or my committee made, even if it makes someone else mad. And I, I, I don't need to grovel with them. I don't need to over ingratiate myself and like buy them coffee later or make sure that my happy birthday post on their Facebook page is like extra mushy that year, just to make sure that they love me. Like, they can be mad and when they're over it, then we'll move on. But I don't need to like, just be ridiculous about making sure that they like me. Like they'll just get over it and it'll be fine. And I can go to bed at night and people are going to be mad at me and it's okay. (laughs) And it's awesome. And it's such a good example because as leaders and a lot of times people in ministry, I would imagine have some form of two in them if they're not fully a two, right? So just even knowing that about yourself and being able to apply that in leadership when you do have to make a hard call, because as we talk about all the time on here, and Sarah, you, you, you listen in, you know this, when, when you're leading change as you have and as so many other leaders in the church do, we're, we're leading change, someone is going to be mad at you. That's just the way it goes. Absolutely. And so learning to navigate that in a healthy way and have that strong sense of self, even when that comes is going to help you lead well, lead from a health. Absolutely. Because I, I'm sure you've heard the sentiment or maybe it's happened to you. If you decide to open your church, you're going to get an email saying, great job. And then the next minute you will also get an email saying, how could you? On the flip side, you, I mean, I think Jason talked about that a couple weeks yeah. ago. Um, or on the flip side, if you decide to keep the church closed, again, you will receive emails saying, oh, great decision. And also emails saying, how could you? Yeah. And so I need to be, as a leader, I need to be self-differentiated enough and have a strong enough sense of self to understand that that will come, that sabotage will come, that backlash will come, and know that I can press on anyway. And also for me as a two, know that I am still loved by by God, but I need to still love myself. I need to know that that person will get over it. And so it's helped me to be less reactive to the, not just the criticism, but also the, you're my favorite pastor. I love when you preach like all that stuff too. I don't take that as highly as I would have maybe two years ago, because I know that that could change too. So I'm trying to not gauge my sense of how awesome I am by who likes me or who doesn't like me. Like 
I will just be so even crucial. keeled awesome all the time, whether I'm their favorite or their least favorite. Episode. Yeah. And I think what it does a little bit is maybe one way to think about it is it kind of flattens the emotional curve. Um, the highs and lows are not as extreme. And so you have a little bit more maybe emotional stability when your self-differentiation and self-awareness is, is present. You can keep that more even keel even when things go really hard and our emotions are a big part of us. And sometimes we're going to be mad or sad or whatever, but it can keep us on a little bit more stable footing when we have a growing sense of self. And um, yeah. there's some great resources out there. Another way I've heard it put is when you know where you and and others begin, that's the cloud and towns and boundaries stuff. I mean, just having that sense of who you are apart from who others are, I think is really crucial. And it sounds like the Enneagram has helped you to take some big steps forward with that. Absolutely. One kind of funny example, but um, I used to just used to get me so anxious if somebody was like, I need to talk to you because automatically I'd be like, well, they hate me (laughs) and they're leaving the church and this is just terrible. So one um, Christmas Eve as the choir hmm, back before COVID when we had choirs, (laughs) as the choir was leaving the choir loft, one of the church members said, I need to talk to you. And it was, you know, Christmas Eve at eight o'clock at night. And I was staring down a week of vacation because we had family in town and my anxiety, you know, spiked immediately. I'm like, was my welcome bad? Have I made them angry? What did I say? Like, you know, I just, yeah, you kind of go to worst case scenario in your head when somebody does that, right? Yeah. And, and maybe it's even worse as for twos. I don't know. Um, but that boundary setting that you were talking about. Okay. I'll give him a call the next day I'm in the office, which is January 3rd. That's a long time from December 24th. And I think that, you know, five years ago, me would have called him the day after Christmas, even though I was on vacation because, oh my gosh, what if this person is angry at me? And how could I, how could I even stand it if that were a possibility? But I said, nope, nope, nope. Hold the boundary. So I called him on January 3rd. It was, oh yeah, Oh, and he, you know, relayed the sentiment. It was not anything related to me. It was something else that he had kind of thought of in the choir loft that night. And it was just the way it came across. I thought he was mad at me and he wasn't. And because I gave it from December 24th until January 3rd to simmer, he's like, yeah, I talked to my wife about it. It's, you know, da, 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 da. he told me what it was, not a big deal. And I'm like, I'm really glad that I was as to the best of my ability, able to just put that on the yeah. shelf and deal with it on January 3rd. And that's and growth, right? Reactive. Because I think that's when you're first in leadership, growth. when you're first in leadership, there, the thing is right in front of your face and you can't think of anything else. And I always tell people now, don't, don't hit me with a, we need to talk. Just tell me what you want to talk about so that I don't have to worry about it. Maybe that means I need to work on my, my well, no, uh, one thing, one thing my, my friend asks that I've, I've adopted is I'd love to talk. What's on the agenda? Exactly. And then, I, then and that's fair, say, right? That's like, it, yeah. yeah. They're never going to say, well, I hate your guts. That's on the agenda. Like, <laughs> that's no. right. So they're true. Just gonna, they have a fun idea for mission or, you know, something innocuous, yeah. but. It does feel scary way. to get that open-ended whatever. And our minds kind of go to that dark place. It just kind of totally. way, way we go. Yeah. So um, let's pivot a little bit because I know that you've had an opportunity to do some of this with the staff team where you are and um, you applied it in the ministry setting there in a few different environments. So tell us a little bit about that. What that experience has been like, are people, do people receive it well? Do they roll their eyes? Does it depend on who they are? I mean, what's it been like? 
Okay. Well, um, eat our, our town has a MOPS group, a mother of preschoolers group. And each year they asked me to talk, which is so great. And this year when I asked what they would like me to talk about, um, Darcy sent me a, a whiteboard of all the ideas. And one of them was the Enneagram. And I said, Oh, I'll, I'll do that. Um, and she said, Darcy said last year, someone did like an overview of the Enneagram. And so this year, um, this fall, when I go in and do MOPS COVID pending, um, I am going to do the, uh, what I'm going to do is focus on the characteristic of God that is associated with each number and how we, as our specific number, can share that characteristic of God with the world. Oh, that's cool. And I'm also going to focus on the deadly sin that's associated with every number. That's now, not fun. Not unfortunately, cool. <laughs> there's a deadly sin associated with each number. For twos, it's pride because we pride ourselves on being able to anticipate and meet the needs of others before mm. they know that they have that need. And then we feel like, Oh, look at us. We're special. Um, so I'll focus on the deadly sin of each number, but then the countering virtue that you could cultivate, which would be humility in my case to kind of counteract that deadly sin of pride. So I'm really excited for that to bring in a little bit of that depth to the Enneagram. I also did a Sunday school class last fall where I asked people to buy the book and take the test, and we had a great time on it. And those of us who were in the class, there was about a dozen people, which is a great, pretty normal size for our adult Sunday school. They loved it. We had awesome conversations. And I kept note of who everyone was, and it helps me to know as I continue to relate to them as their pastor you know, what number they are. There were people who were like, mm, that seems a little woo-woo for me. Or like, mm, isn't that like satanic? I'm like, well, no, it's, it's not. But they just chose to not come. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. So because of some of the feedback I received through the adult Sunday school, I did a series of Facebook lives every day. One, uh, just 30 minutes, one for nine days in a row for each of the numbers. Um, so about a week yeah, for five days and then four days. And that was actually really popular. And I would see people, not a couple people would go live, but a lot of people would rewatch it. They would tag a friend in it. And so that hit like hundreds, if not thousands of people, way more than it could have ever touched yeah, on a awesome. Sunday morning. So that was really fun. And then, um, I am taking two days of continuing ed to do a Zoom conference on digging into the Enneagram a little more. So that's neat that um, I can use my continuing ed days and time to dig in more to help me in my ministry. And then finally, we just let, I just let our staff through it, our program staff, which there are six of us. There's three pastors, a church administrator, a worship and uh, music director, uh, and a tech AV and tech coordinator. So the six of us went through it and we spent about three hours on it. And that was really fun and helpful as well. So I've used it in a lot of different ways in my ministry. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I wonder too, you know, as we're thinking about our teams or maybe if you're, you know, the only staff person in your church or something, you know, bringing in your key leaders or the people that you spend the most time working and collaborating with to have a growing awareness of yourself and, and that team and how each other works and ticks and operates, I think sets you up for success. And it kind of makes sense of some things where maybe it's a little bit bumpy and rocky and, but also uh, mm -hmm. helps you celebrate the places where you get, you get this sort of multifaceted 
team of strengths that are different from each other. So absolutely. Like it, it surprised exactly none of us that our church business administrator is a one. Ones are perfectionists. Ones have this kind of inner critic who's always looking at a room and seeing how things could be done better. It surprises none of us that he always volunteers to be the note taker because he, he takes meticulous notes and it's awesome. And it surprised none of us that he's the one with the most whiteboards in his office that are always full of to-do lists and process and everything. We're like, well, that's not a surprise. And so the, the numbers weren't really a surprise for any of us, but where the magic happens is, okay, knowing that you are a nine or you are an eight or two, here's how you best respond to things or here's your superpower. Like it, it's just, it was awesome. It's yeah. really neat. And I hope it'll continue to bear fruit for us. Yeah. Um, I love that. And I think it, when we have that awareness too, we can begin to treat people in a way that helps bring out those strengths and uh, helps each other be healthy and really celebrates it. And I find too, that once, once you kind of know that about each other, it, you can, kind of almost turn it into a, a joke in some ways. Oh, that's such a one thing to do, right? Or you're such a two or whatever, but it's a way of, of just kind of keeping that conversation alive and understanding right. how each other ticks and operates. Or the two, the two pastors, the two associate pastors who Austin um, leads, one of them is me. I'm a two. One of them is an eight. He has to deliver feedback to us in two completely different ways. For totally. an eight, just tell her like it is. Yep. Hey, A, B, and C, boom, great, move on. For me, like compliment sandwich it. Like tell me how awesome I <laughs> am, right. then tell me A, B, and C, but then reaffirm how awesome I am. That's right. <laughs> so, so even Austin as the senior pastor and head of staff, it's helping him. Totally. Okay, here's how I can relate to my eight staffer or my two and staffer. If, if you're in, a, in management of any kind and you're overseeing people, having this information or at least even thinking about your people and trying to un- maybe go, I wonder if they're a one or a two or a three or whatever, that's so valuable in the way that you're going to approach those conversations and those relationships. So. And one of the best compliments that I received recently from my coworker, Rebecca, she said, I know how naturally how natural it is for you to understand the feelings of everyone around you being able to read a room and know how everyone is responding to you i am not a two so that's a growing edge for me and i just want to say that you do an awesome job at it and you know like that's awesome and that's so cool because what i your tendency might be to think that well can't everybody read a room and know who's mad at them and who's not apparently no the answer is no like twos can do that and fours kind of but not eights or or other numbers so how you can compliment other people because you know that or um i was listening to a podcast recently and a woman said my mom's a two and i used to be annoyed whenever she would bring me snacks like mom i'm not eight years old like i don't need you to bring me snacks i'm I'm a 30 year old woman but now that i know my mom's a two and that's how she shows that she loves me and cares for me now i'm like sure mom thanks for the snack i love it because for my for me now i know that's my mom saying how much she loves me and i accept it and am less critical of it and that's been such a great help it helped in mine and austin's marriage it's helped so much over the last 
I don't know, three or four months since he finally landed on a number and it helps me love him better. And it's, it's just awesome. So cool. And thanks so much for sharing all this, Sarah. I, at the very least, if this motivates someone to go and just look into it a little bit more, or maybe you, you just kind of dipped your toe in and, you know, you, uh, to look, took a look at the Enneagram and you said, hey, man, it seems like a lot of work. I don't know. And you kind of moved on. Maybe this will bring you back to that conversation. Um, it's kind of like, putting oil in the engine you know it's like it's something that you need to to continue to make a relationship to be healthy and uh, I think there's always a area to grow so thanks for sharing your passion thanks for giving us a little window into Sarah's experience with Enneagram what it is and how it's been helpful to you and I would encourage people to um, to look into that so let's land with anything else you'd like to share and how if people want to reach out to you are you okay with them doing that how would they get in touch with you Oh, well, I don't, can't think of any last words of wisdom to impart, but if you want to get a hold of me, um, you can, our, why don't you go to our church website? It's fpcfd.org. And then from there, my email address is there. I'm on Instagram and Facebook, but since Sarah Hill is a name that about 700 million of us have, it's probably easiest for you to just go to the church website and catch up with me there. So we can't just put Sarah Hill Enneagram 2 with two kids that lives in Fort Dodge. We'll, we'll see if we can sort it no, down through. But. No, I mean... No. Yeah. That there actually, there's two Sarah Hills in town and sometimes I get her bills and she gets my bills. And someone reached out to me about wedding uh, invitation calligraphy recently. I'm like, that's the other Sarah Hill. You don't want me writing your wedding invitations. Trust me. Very, very cool. So tell us again, before we go uh, about the book and about um, the conference that just so that in case anybody missed it, we rushed through it. Tell us a little bit about those things. Absolutely. So the book that I read about the Enneagram that is a great, very accessible, very easy read about the Enneagram is called The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stabile. And then the best use of my continuing ed days and funds hands down has been the clergy clinic and family emotional process. And it is offered virtually this year because of the coronavirus. And it's offered by a, um, by the Lombard Mennonite peace center based out of the Chicago suburbs and tell them I sent you, maybe they'll, maybe they'll just give me a gold star for something. <laughs> You'll get a little bit of that affirmation that, that you so love. Oh, I like yes, it. There you go. Yes. So you can help Sarah out. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us. And I'm just really grateful for your willingness to share so openly about your experience and uh, hope that you make it through the school year with your crew there in the midst of the pandemic and that uh, God would be with you in Austin and your church there in Fort Dodge and that we would all come out the other side, having grown a little bit, maybe a little more self-awareness and self-differentiation in the meantime. And uh, just thanks for taking the time. You're welcome, Jesse. It was good to be with you for episode 150. Congratulations on that milestone. I know. That's a big deal. So thanks again, Sarah. And thanks to everybody listening in. So glad to have you with us. And as always, I hope the conversations we're having here, that they're really helping you to lead change in your local churches, uh, to stay healthy as leaders, or at least to know that you're not alone in the things you're experiencing. And we want to equip you to lead turnaround uh, change in the churches where you are. So thanks for being a part of the conversation. If you want to reach out to Jason, or I, you can do that, Jason or Jesse at reclaimleader.com, and we'd love to connect with you. So in the meantime, have a great rest of the week, and we'll talk to you again next time around. 
Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey.